Hello, podcap. Hello, podcrap listener. <laughs> Hello, podcasts. Oh, gosh. Hello, podcast listeners. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community. I co-pastor this church in recovery with... Scott McBean, and I also co-pastor this church in recovery. Very good. You know I'm leaving all those different intros in, right? I know. And today, we're going to be talking about a message you did on August 10th and 11th, maybe? The weekend that had August 10th in it. Thereabouts, the second week of August. Second week of August. And... um, you had me at go because you started your message out saying it's really become polite not to talk about or think about these kinds of things. And of course, I love to talk impolitely. So I was really intrigued by your starting sentence. So why don't you introduce the topic today and tell us more about why what we're going to be talking about is not considered polite in good company. Uh, well, for, <clears throat> um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, we do need to back up because these kinds of things, nobody knows what we're talking about at this point. So I know. We I started, wanted to have a mysterious <clears throat> beginning. Oh, that might have been too mysterious. Um, inform, inform. <laughs> uh, so we started with uh, two questions. We always like to get the crowd off talking if possible. Sometimes it's not possible, but we try. We try to ask questions and get people engaged and uh, use that as a jumping off point for our conversations that we like to have on the weekends. But um, the two questions were, how can you tell if someone loves God? And how do you know that you love God? Um, First yeah. John says many times, you know, we've been doing this series on First John. Right. I won't do the whole recap of all that. You can... You know, the podcasts are, are available for you to listen to if you if you feel so led to get caught up. But, um, you know, it, it boils down, uh, mirroring, you know, Jesus' own words, you know, it, it boils much of a life of faith down to uh, loving God and loving others, right? right. I mean, it's a sort of core stuff. Um, and so there's um, kind of this question of how do you know if you're doing that? Right? How do you know if somebody else is doing that? Um, and part of the reason I ask that question is because uh, tends to be what happens in our conversations almost every week is somebody says, well, when you talk about loving others, that's all well and good for people who share your certain way of seeing, who kind of share your, your core values and, and your desire to pursue faith. Um, but what about when somebody doesn't want that, right? I mean, there's always this question about what about, you know, somebody who's not even trying? Um, and yeah. and the other question that comes up, at least in my mind every week is, I'm trying as hard as I can, but am I doing enough? Or is are my efforts the right efforts? And, you know, I'm old. You would have thought I would have had this all settled in my brain by now, but evidently I don't. When we start talking about how can you tell if someone loves God or do I know that I love God, um, these questions cause me to pause. Uh, 
Right. Yes. Okay. So let me finish that other thought. So I'm sorry. Um, so we have these two questions, and um, they seem to be uh, they seem to me to be rather important um, in part because um, you know uh, we're always trying to figure out does is how we're living the same no matter what. Right. Like in, in there's always when somebody asks that question, well, sure, that applies to somebody who shares your certain way of seeing your your desire and ability to be loving is easier with somebody who also desires to be loving back. Oh, I see right? where you're going with that. And so, um, yeah, where do you where do you think I'm going with that? No, no. I mean, that that's more clear to me than before I interrupted you, which is probably a good reason to not interrupt people. <laughs> Um, I'm going to still do it, though, because it's fun. Yeah, so I guess, you know, so it's always, so we always have that, you know, are the expectations different in community versus out of community? Right. Right. And then um, and then whether you're in or out of the community, you still have this question of, well, surely there's people who are out of your community who love God, and surely there's people in your community who don't, and in in. To what extent does that matter, and to what extent does it change our responsibility? Right? And inevitably, and, it's confusing. Yeah, and I think it does. I think there are situations. I think there are situations where it does change our responsibility, and situations where it doesn't. You know, I mean, I think every situation must be discerned, and it's our goal to try to be as uh, true to that way of seeing as possible. And um, yeah, we can we can maybe get into the nitty gritty if we need to, uh, but. Um, I guess more or less that's where those questions came from. Right. Um, and then after asking those questions and people pondering over them, you, I, if I'm recalling correctly, the question, how can you tell if someone loves God, that came swift. And um, I thought you got really good, solid answers to that. I think when you asked the second question, how do you know that you love God? I think we were all quite a bit quieter. Um, because that really made us think, how do I know that I love God? Yeah, and I think, you know, um, there weren't as many answers. And the ones, and I, I was pleased, you know, I, I was pleased with the honesty of some of them. I mean, um, somebody, we, we won't mention any names, said that his thought is that no matter, no matter how well he is or isn't loving God, his internal sense is that it's never enough. Well, we know exactly who that somebody is. Yeah, but we're not going to say it because okay. it, uh, it's, it's the podcast. All right. Well, I might accidentally say it. <laughs> well, be careful. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Uh, be on your best behavior. <laughs> I, don't think um, he, I don't think he actually listens to our podcast. Well, probably not. He has to listen to us too much. Um, so... Um, Carry I'm, on. I'm trying. Yeah. Jeez, you're really out of control today. Somebody ought to. Uh, I've had caffeine. Yeah, you need a timeout. <laughs> um, we're very close to instituting timeouts with Nora, by the way, but she's still a little bit too young, but I want to so desperately because she was hitting me. Uh, she was slapping me around this morning. Um, so I think that was a particularly honest answer. How do you know that you love God? Um, I'm not really sure, and it's never enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, that yeah. is the voice of shame, and I think many people um, probably share that. Um, and then I, I, you know, I honestly can't remember some of the other answers. I mean, there were some good things where where people were, 
you know, I think, you know, some people suggested when I can tell that I'm loving another person well, when somebody else is receiving love, you know, then I know that I'm, then some, I'm loving God. I mean, there were some other thoughts. I'm, somebody I am, said when they feel, when they know that they are making a sacrifice for somebody else. Okay. Yep. That I thought that was living. another saf- sacrificial giving was another good response. But the thing that I paid attention to really was the big pause. Um, yeah. Because it is not a question that we ask often, and it is in many ways, I think, as your next point was uh, in your talk, really impolite to ask it um, because it sounds like you're being judgmental if that if you have that question. Well, you know? I was trying to be a little tricksy because if I had asked the question, how do you know if somebody else is a Christian? Or how do you know if somebody else is a person of faith? What do you think the answer would have been? Uh, I think we got it. By their fruits. No, no, no. I mean, what do you think people would say on a if I if I ask that on a sun, on a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening? I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. Yeah, go ahead that? and tell me what you're thinking, because I think we get a different answer I, in our community than we would in maybe, others. Maybe. I, I think it would depend. But, okay, one of the answers that we would get is you can't. You can't tell. Uh-huh. Right? I think that's one of the most common things is right. how can you tell if somebody's a Christian? You can't. That's their business. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that is probably... You know, if you took a poll and you gave people four choices, that's the one that would come back 65 to 75% of the time. That would be my guess. Yeah. I think that's probably true. And in my mind... I'm a weirdo. I couldn't... I wouldn't have come up with that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, In my mind, the question, how can you tell if someone loves God? It's the exact same question. Yeah. It's just framed in a way that you can actually think about the question rather than giving a pre-programmed response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, thinking about it that way, that's what I was referring to when I said it's really become polite not to talk about these questions. Uh, because uh, it's, it's now, the way we talk about uh, faith and spirituality now is that it's so personal and it's so private, like nobody else... It's nobody else's business. You have to butt out like it's mine. You don't, you don't judge other people. You don't judge me. I don't judge me. I don't judge you. You don't, you don't, you know, whatever. It's so individualized. Yeah. We become very individualized in our conversations of faith. Right. To the point where, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The old, you love God at church, but I love God on the golf course kind (laughs) of statement, right? Yeah. Which I'm not, I'm not, um, you're not judging that. No, and this is a point that I, and, and I mean, this is literally the next point that I made, which is there is total, there's something really important about faith being personal, right, and faith being individual, and up uh, and for for me to own my faith and to figure out what are the things that I need in my life in order to be the most faithful version of Scott that I can be. That stuff's really important. So I'm not I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm and saying I, I to, even believe you said nothing bad is going to come from that. Like really owning your faith and taking right. responsibility. As long for as it. as long as you are taking it seriously. Right. Right. And I think that um, so often some of those things that we say are excuses to not take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So that would be to me, that's the problem area. But um, 
the point for me is not, okay, we need to stop personalizing or stop individualizing. We need to figure out what role a personal faith plays in the context of a community. Right. Right. And, uh, Could you repeat that again? Because I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah, the point for me is not to try to, um, not to try to get away from thinking of faith as personal or individual. I think that's really important, and I think that it is those things. But the question is, what role does that does that individual faith play in the context of community? How is it informed and shaped by community? How do we bring it back into community? Right. All of those kinds of things. How do we make sure that? That, to use your example, I'm not leaving my faith on the golf course. Right. Um, right. Or, you know, wherever. Yeah. Uh, so so that was really kind of my concern. Is that the whole thing? I, I mean, I remember somebody, it was one of the first people I met in seminary. Um, and, and ironically, I don't think I ever saw her again, but um, she asked me where I was going to church at the time. We had just gotten there. So I had been a couple places, but I wasn't going anywhere yet. And I just kind of said that. I said, what about you? We were just small talking. And she was like, oh, I go to Bedside Baptist. And I was like, I had not heard that phrase before because I hadn't, I guess I hadn't really spent a ton of time. That doesn't matter. But uh, apparently that was like a common thing for people to say like, oh, I just, you know, read a little and pray a little before bed and that's it, you know. Well, that's funny because I was like, that is the worst name of a church I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. It would be. Don't name your church that. <laughs> Never name your church Bedside Baptist. And again, I get why people are hurt by churches, right? right. And I get why people right. struggle to engage in it. I 100% understand that. And not only do I understand it, I think it's important to take breaks when you need to and all of that good stuff. This is not bad stuff we're talking about. It's right. just how do we complete the picture? How do we fill it in? Uh, so anyway... Move me along here. Where, so I think now uh, it'd be really good for you to give us the verses that you're going to be speaking out of. First John four nineteen through twenty one. Yep, would be a good place to start. I think um, this is from the NRSV. I always say it. It's not the version we read on the weekend, so um, we pick an easier version. But it's just the one I have handy. That's my ratty Bible that sits on my desk. We love because He first loved us. Those who say I love God, and you know what? Um, I don't think I even said what verses they were, did I? I said what they were. You did. First uh-huh. John 4, 19 and 21. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Good, good, good. I'll leave this in too so people can hear my mistakes. Um, <laughs> As opposed to all the ones you leave in that are mine? Well, I made the joke because of your intros. Yes, I yeah. gotcha. Okay. First ha, ni- ha ha. Ha ha. Verse 19. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters. Dang it. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. So this really begs the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to love God anyway? So we find ourselves coming back to another question about what does it really mean to love God? Right. And what's your answer? I'm really looking forward to hear what you're going to say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess what I should say, uh, first of all, is 
you know, it is important how we think about love. Uh, because, and we said this a lot at North Coast, people are probably tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again anyway. But um, the version of loving God that I was presented with growing up was uh, odd to me now looking back on it. Um, because it was both, it was about love as a feeling, right? And it was almost like, I mean, the, the kind of language that was used in books and stuff that were handed out at youth camps or whatever. I mean, there, there was language in there like, um, and in the songs that we sang, falling in love with God. Right. Um, as if God were a romantic partner. Uh, to me, that is, uh, uh, if that's a useful idea to you, then, then hold on to it. To me, I think it's a rather strange way of talking about God. Especially if you're in a youth group. It might be problematical. <laughs> um, yeah, it could be. You know, I don't want to, I, I get, you know, I don't want to dog on something that might be useful to somebody else. Um, For the record, I need to go on the record here. Sure. For many years, I worked with youth. I never suggested that they fall in love with God, Okay. Because I hung out with them, and I knew what falling in love looked like I for 16-year-olds. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like there was a book that was like a dating book, and I, I never read it, so I can't say whether it was good or bad or whatever. But it was, you know, it was something about the idea that... Um, it's very popular in Christian circles, but the idea is like you fall in love with God and then marriage takes care of itself. Because yeah. Christian children are very anxious about finding a, a spouse. Right, right. Uh, I don't know if other children are that way because I was a Christian child. Um, thank you, Mom. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, but but either way... The, well, I didn't <laughs> allow you to read that book, FYI. <laughs> but either way, there's this idea that God is like the grand romantic partner, and then you get some lesser version of that, I suppose, that you marry. I don't know. Um, but but if love is just a feeling, you know, you do end up with very strange images of what it means to love God, right? If, if right. love of God mirrors the love of a romantic partner... Well, that doesn't even come close to what the Bible is describing here. Right. So right. it's really useful to think about uh, love as a behavior. Yeah. And then that allows us to have a lot of different emotions, yep. even as we're making a decision about what our next right step is going to be. So I, I do love that. Yeah. And I think it's always good. I think somebody said, you know, love, I think of love as a verb. Somebody said that during the weekend, which yeah. is right. And I mean, I think that applies to God and um, to others as well, whether you're talking about a romantic partner or a brother or a sister or a friend or whoever. It's a verb. Um, and while you were trying to make sense of that right. for the group, you told a story that I thought was just perfect and very beautiful. Uh, do you remember what it was, and could you share it with our podcast audience? Yeah, so we um, uh, we went um, on a trip that that we've gone on for we've gone on many different times over the years to Massanutten with my dad's family, um, uh, recently, and um, it was the second time we've done it with uh, our daughter Nora, me and Brittany's daughter. Um, but the first time we did it. Um, the the first night was was a moment that I'll I'll never forget in her life probably as her as her dad, uh, because 
they all got in, and I don't know what time it was. It felt late, but she was still awake, so it couldn't have been that late. Um, but it was evening time. They had driven in. They had been traveling all day. They were tired. But everybody was seeing Nora for the first time. She was eight or nine months old. Um, in this side of the family, they live in Florida, so they hadn't seen her. They'd seen pictures, and they'd heard stories, but they, they hadn't met her in person. But what kind of overwhelmed me to watch was how much they loved her right away. She hadn't done anything yet. She was cute. She's still cute, but she hadn't done anything yet. Right. No love was earned. Right. Um, and so I couldn't help but sort of ask this question in my mind, uh, where does that love come from? You know, if there's no basis for it in right. who she is at this point, she's kind of a blob, you know, at eight months old, uh, where does it come from? And um, there's probably a couple ways to answer that question. You know, babies are easy to love because they're cute and uh, that kind of stuff. But I think the bottom line is um, I'm loved. My family loves me. My family loves Brittany. And therefore, my family loves Nora. Um, we had a, you know, there's other factors too. We had a difficult path towards parenthood. So when we finally... When Nora finally came into our lives, you know, there's like a special joy and emotion that comes with that. But I think it's true in 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 many family relationships. You love the children of the people that you love because you love the parents. Right. You love those you love the people who you love, who are the child's parents. You love them and therefore you love the child. And I experienced this myself with uh, my nephew, uh, Christian. I love Christian's mother, who is my sister. And so when I met him for the first time, I just, I had that feeling that everybody talks about. Oh my gosh, I love this person so much and he's barely a person yet. Right. You know? And um, I even told Brittany, like when we were in the adoption process, I'm nervous that I'm not going to love another child as much as I love my nephew. Right. What happens if that happens? Right. Um, and that is the dynamic that I'm describing, which is I love him because of who his parents are. Right. Um, now, the same really is true for God, but it's kind of in the reverse, right? When we think about what it means to love God, we love what he's created, right? So in order to love God, you love his creation. So, I mean, it's, it's not really that different because now that Christian's in my sister's life, for instance, if I love Christian well she's going to feel loved by that too. Right. You know, love, the experience of loving somebody, whether you're talking verb or noun or feeling or whatever, uh, it can be indirect. You right. can experience love as a result of something somebody does to somebody else. Right. It's very tender for me on these family trips to see our family loving the littles, but it is also very tender for me to see us aunts and uncles loving on the adult cousins. Yep. There is something that is very um, multiplied exponentially by this sort of shared awareness of connection and love. Yep. And that's very deep and profound and um, really valuable in a very beautiful way. Yeah, and so... Uh 
Where I went was this. Where I went with this was to say, in order to love God, we must love His creation, and that sounds very good. But remember, God created everything, right? And so it's not always such good news, right? Because there's a fair amount of stuff that we are not going to feel like loving, right. and so I can't help but come back to that question of like, well, uh, what do you do with the things that you don't feel like loving, or the people who aren't particularly lovable, or? That kind of thing. And so there's there's two ways of looking at it. You know, when we consider people who don't share our faith, we still do everything we can to demonstrate respect and to offer dignity in whatever ways we can and to do the best we can not to take somebody else's dignity off the table. Well, not just of sharing our faith, but also uh, let, me, let me throw a big wrench into the engine here, um, get everybody all riled up. Uh, what about somebody who doesn't share our politics, right? <laughs> or, or you know, um, somebody who doesn't share our ethnicity, and we feel some sort of disconnect because of that, different cultural lifestyles or whatever. So, you know, th- these are not easy things that we're thinking about. And you, you have challenged us with this First John 4 passage to think bigger than, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think it applies, you know, when you consider politics, it applies equally to both sides who are so hateful towards each other uh, at this moment in time. Um, but so it, remember, it's about respect and dignity. We don't take respect or dignity away from another person, not because of who they are, but because of our certain way of seeing. Yeah, and th- that's a piece of it anyway. I mean, there's there's more to be said, but I think that's a that's a nice little shorthand Um, that gives us some things to think about as we try to apply these ideas to our lives. And um, I said, this was one of the things I had written down. Um, When we consider, you know, the people who don't share our faith and what it means, what what it means or what it looks like to love God's creation, it means living in such a way as to create the possibility that when other people look into our eyes, they see God smiling back at them. Mm Mm-hmm. To, le- to create the possibility that when other people look into our eyes, they see God smiling back at them. Um, I know that seems abstract, but it, 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 it helps me, you know, because it's like, um, it's a way of thinking about what's your disposition towards others. Right. Because there's, yeah, there's our thoughts, uh, there's our thoughts and our feelings, those are internal There's our actions, those are external, but there's more to it than that too. There's also just the vibe that you're putting out there. Oh yeah, and um, and that's important, you know. And it's not a difficult. I mean, it's not an easy thing to to teach or to uh, construct or to work on. But um, this idea here, the 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 living in such a way as to create the possibility that that people see God smiling at them through us. That's about the vibe that you're putting out there. And I right. hate that word. I hate that language. It's too woo-woo-y, woo-woo-y for me. But I love it. I think people will know what I mean when I say it. Yeah. And think about how you're being disposed towards others. Right. Right. Just give it some consideration. Right. I also loved how you kind of closed where you said to us, as sort of a word of caution in a very gentle tone, you know, don't assume you're loving well. Yeah. Because if you do that, you, you, and, and this was so beautiful. 
if you just assume that, then you don't have anything to work on or explore or right. be curious about about yourself. And I think this goes back to the foundation of First John, which is if you already know God has you in his back pocket mm-hmm. and he loves you, then it's okay to have stuff to work on because you're still precious to him. Yeah. You know, when Nora was seven months, she couldn't speak. She couldn't walk. She drooled excessively because she was teething, and everybody adored her, right? Yep. Uh, This year's a completely different experience, and they still loved her. Yep. You know, and um, had even more to experience in love. So I think in the light of knowing how well-loved we are by a God that we can barely comprehend— it should make it possible for us to look, at least peek inside, and ask ourselves where we're not being loving people or where people might not see us, um, uh, see our eyes smiling back with the love of God. So I loved how you closed it. And then you took it a step further, which is almost meddling, um, but you, you said, if you're feeling brave, open yourself up to change because, and you quoted scripture here, um, I think John 13, because they will know us by our love. Yeah. Um, and you close with this beautiful sentence. So if we don't offer that, then they won't know us at all. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a beautiful thing, and I loved it. And on Sunday, I think I added one more point, which is... Um, you know, there's a few verses before the verses that I read that talk about how love pushes out fear. Um, and the idea there is that when you are loved by God, you have nothing to be afraid of. So in other words, um, our fear that we might not be loving well or we might not be loving correctly is sort of unneeded if we know and believe that we are accepted and loved by God because of, again, because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so the, you know, we don't give these messages on love and becoming more loving people to make us feel bad about the love that we don't have to give. Uh, Because I think 1 John is very clear. You don't need to be afraid. You just need to be honest. Right. You know, if you're honest and you open yourself up to accountability, then you don't need to be afraid of the ways in which you fall short. The point is for us to try. Exactly. Um, and, I, and I do love that. And yeah. just be honest. Yeah. Honest, honest, honest. That's really important. But that's not the only thing important about this podcast. What else is important? Um, last podcast, I forgot to think about um, what my recommendation, recommendation was, was for our new recommendation station. And I have an awesome one this time. So I feel Let's hear it. very much like I've... Uh, done something good, oh. um, which is the opposite of the point of the whole message, right? Well, that's okay. It's good to feel good sometimes. Well, this is about the best I could do. Okay. Um, so I thought that we are producing this podcast in the um, hot summer days of August. Yep. And so I thought it might be fun for the reader to have the opportunity to have a little fictional light summer reading that also had a really interesting, tw- um, would might raise questions from a recovery perspective. So what I'm recommending is Karen Slaughter, and she spelled K-A-R-I-N, Slaughter, okay. S- 
S-L-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. I had to look that up. So like laughter with an S? Yeah. And uh, she has a, a series called the Will Trent series. Just okay. think of it as a guy with two first names. <laughs> and um, what I would suggest in this series that always strikes me, because I read all her books. She's a great writer. Um, it's, you know, Do you all, read them or do you listen to them? I do both. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all cops and robbers stuff, and I really like it. Always got a little twist. There's a lot of blood and guts. It's just great. <laughs> but what it also has is she consistently, guts. and I don't know if she knows she does this or not, and I, I might send her an email and ask her. Hmm. But she always writes characters who have severe codependency issues. Mm. So in the recovery world, we're having a little debate about whether codependency is a useful construct to talk about. Well, let's not start this again. Well, it, it's, it's a thing. And so when people tell me it's not a useful construct, I'm going to say back to them, read Karen Slaughter. <laughs> because if you read these books, you can see how desperately we need to consider uh, still the behaviors that we have called codependency. And so I don't give a flying fig what you call it. But my recommendation is to point out how destructive it is, the behaviors that we've typically associated with that term. And so read Karen Slaughter. It'll drive you to a meeting, but it's also a good read. Okay. Well, I What about will, you? I'll, I'll choose something of a little less uh, significance here. Um, well, it's significant in that my brother gave me a book for Christmas that I quite loved um, uh, by... Let's see. Laird Barron is the guy's name. L-A-I-R-D. Yes. B-A-R-R-O-N. Okay. Doing a lot of spelling on this podcast. <laughs> um, and I think the first book, it's a new series. There's two books out. I believe the first one is called Blood Standard. Okay. Also violent. Yay. Um, it's about a guy, uh, a hitman who tries to get out of the mob, you know, and Ooh. then um, ends up... Uh, uh, ends up retiring to a farm and then um, um, going down a deep, dark hole of trying to find a missing girl. And um, I quite loved it. Um, it's an Isaiah Coleridge book. That's the series is Isaiah Coleridge. So Laird, I'm not even going to try Barron. to spell that. Oh, it's not too bad. Uh, Laird Barron, Blood Standard, Isaiah Coleridge. That's my recommendation. Wow. We gave two fictional reads. That's right. Which proves the theme. point that you and I have been on vacation and able to read fiction, so that's pretty good. Well, I read mine quite a while ago, but um, was just thinking about it. Okay, good. I don't have time to read on vacation when I'm watching a baby. Are you crazy? Well, I didn't really either, but, you know, it sounded good in the yeah. moment. It was my wish. <laughs> so, at this point in the podcast, if you haven't turned us off, uh, you're hearing music come up, and that music is provided to us Courtesy free. Of- Royalty free, courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, who can be found on the web at sessions.blue. We are North Star Community. We are found on the web at, let me enunciate here, www.northstarcommunity.com. How did we do? Pretty good? I think we did. I think we got it in. Okay, good. All right, now you know who we are. You know where to find us, and uh, we appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next time.